Well, good morning. If you're just joining us, my name's Eric, and I am the youth pastor here. And uh, it's a joy and a privilege to get to uh, break open God's Word today and to continue this series that we're in. We're in a series called The King and the Cross, and it's kind of a continuation of the series that we recently finished called The King and I, but we've been working through the book of Mark. That's been our goal. We've been looking at at how Jesus is our King and how um, maybe this morning we're going to talk a little bit about our expectations for Him differ Um, But before we dive in, I wanted to point out a couple of things. One, we have a new bulletin. Um, Looks good, right? Yeah, Pastor Scott told you about that tearaway card there at the bottom. But I also want to point out we have some sermon notes on there. Or if you like to use uh, your device, an iPhone or some smartphone or a tablet or something that has the internet, you're more than welcome to use that YouVersion Bible app. Um, It's a pretty cool thing, and we're doing now uh, a live event. So you can go on to, uh, at the bottom on your smartphone, uh, once you get logged in, if you need to go over to the uh, App Store and jump on the Grace Guest Wi-Fi and download that, you're welcome to do so, uh, as long as you don't go to like Facebook or anything else. So, uh, But follow along with us. You can take notes on there. Make sure you hit save once at the end, once you've written your notes in. Uh, But we are going to be in God's Word. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11 today. Uh, And if you're like me and you're you're trying to use the smartphone and you get distracted with all the notifications, uh, stick with the paper Bible. That's good too. Uh, And if you need one, if you need a paper Bible, you can put your hand up in the air and some of our ushers, our awesome ushers, will get you one. So that's where we are. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11 today. Uh, But I want to start us out by just asking a question and, and, and I want you to honestly think about this. Um, Have you ever encountered, have you ever encountered uh, a gap between your expectation of something and the experience that you have? Have you ever had that moment? Maybe it's, um, maybe for you, it it was that moment where you you saw that there's a new Beauty and the Beast movie that came out, right? And you want to go see it and you take the family and you get there and the movie starts and you realize it's not animated. What? What is this? Right? Uh, anybody? That have, just me? Okay. Um, yeah, I saw previews for that movie and I was like, what? It's, it's, it's a real movie. Like, it's not a cartoon. Like, the tragedy of this. Like, I, I, I'll never see it. Probably. Maybe. Anyways, um, maybe you're like me and, and you get really, really excited about that new album that's going to come out from your favorite band and they're, they're releasing you know, a new album you've been waiting, you've been expecting it and you're like, it's going to be awesome and then you listen to it and it's terrible. It's terrible. Uh, when I was in high school, I, I loved listening to the Beastie Boys. I'm dating myself now, but that's okay. Um, I loved listening to the Beastie Boys and they had this new album that came out and it, was, it just wasn't good and I got so mad and whatever, okay? Um, but you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you have that gap. There's, there's a gap between your experience and your expectation. Maybe you, you, all your friends have been talking about the new restaurant in town, and you go check it out, and they're talking about how good the food is and how amazing the service is and the ambiance of the place, and they're just going on and on and on. And you get there, and they're like, oh, the food's basically free. It's so cheap, like all this stuff. And, and, and it's terrible, and you have a totally different experience, right? There's, there's a gap between our expectation and our experiences. And sometimes those expectations can differ from our experiences. That's the first fill in the blank, if you're following along, by the way. Um, maybe, 
maybe you're, you're not that way. Maybe your expectations can dictate your experience. Maybe they're not different at all. It's exactly what you want it to be or what you think it's gonna be. Anybody ever gone to a family reunion and you're like, I know this is just gonna be terrible. It's not gonna be any fun. I'm gonna have aunties like pinching my cheeks and whatever. And, and you have that mindset going into it. You have that expectation that this is gonna be terrible. And then it is, and it's awful. And you have no fun and you're like, I knew this was gonna be bad. And maybe it wasn't actually bad. Maybe it's just you had already made up your mind that it it was going to be bad, right? Um, maybe we, we do that with things, right? Maybe you come to church on a Sunday morning and you're in great anticipation of God to move and to speak and you're longing to hear from him. You brought your Bible, you brought your pen, you're ready to take notes and, and you just have the most incredible morning and Pastor R kills it and he does such a great job and you go home and you're just like, oh, God spoke to me and it was exactly as you expected. Your expectations, your attitude coming into something dictates, it determines your experience that you're gonna have. Both of these things can be true, right? Yes? Yes, okay. Um, this morning, we're gonna see in Mark chapter 11 a couple scenarios where the expectations are very different from the experiences. Before we dive in, I wanted to just share a couple stories about me recently that happened. Um, the first, I was at Starbucks with a good friend of mine and we were at a Starbucks in, in a different state and we uh, had never been there before and we were at the counter and he was ordering. I was kind of standing off to the side of him. He orders his, you know, his... his weird drink, quad, mocha, frappuccino, something like that. Uh, really high maintenance drink. And he, he turns around after he orders, says, you know, thank you for my order. And he turns around in his really tight space. There was a display table literally right behind us um, that he didn't know was there. And it was full of like those aluminum thermoses um, and, and like bags of coffee and like just stacked high, and he turns around from, from the counter from ordering and kicks this table with his knee and knocks the whole thing over, and these metal thermoses are clanging everywhere through the floor, and like these high school kids in the front of the room come up, and they're like, here, I think you dropped this, like being really mean and sarcastic to him. He's like, I just want to bury myself under the table, like, and the, the, the lady that was working, she was like, oh, don't worry about it. It happens all the time. He's like, what? Move the table then. Why do you have this thing right here? He was not expecting there to be a display table literally right behind where he was ordering. It was hilarious. It was awesome to see. I still tease him about that to this day. Um, maybe you, you've uh, experienced something that, that was way better than you were expecting. Uh, a while back, Pam Work was working here at the church, and uh, one of my interns, we, we like to play pranks on some of the other staff, and so there was a, a show on NBC called The Office that was really popular. You've probably heard of it. Um, but there was a, a format, a function on their website where you could type in a number to call, like a friend's number, your parents, or an office in this case. And so we typed in this number and it would play, it would call that number and play this recorded message and it's Dwight Schrute's voice. And we're like, oh, this is gonna be awesome. We're gonna get Pam so good. And she was in the office and we were kind of around the corner, eavesdropping and checking in on her. And, and so we typed in the number to the church and, and the phone rings and we're like outside the door listening and, and we hear Pam answer the phone and hello, how are you? And it, it was like Emerson. She's like, oh, hi, Schnookums or something like her husband and that's her husband, by the way. Um, but she's like not engaging with this recorded message that was supposed to be playing. Well, then the phone ring, the other phone rings, the other side of the office and little Verlin Mahaffey, the sweet, 
elderly secretary who had been here for, for so long, she answers the phone. And we're like, no, Verlin's not supposed to get this call. Pam was supposed to get this call. Oh no. And so we hear Verlin talking. Well, the recorded message that's playing that Verlin is hearing is Dwight Schrute's voice. And he says, hello, I'm in your men's room and I seem to have run out of toilet paper. If you could be so kind as to bring me a fresh roll. And we hear Verlin go, you're where? <laughs> that was so much better than if Pam had answered the phone. It far exceeded our expectation. It was the best. So Verlin's like from the office, Pastor Eric, where are you? Like Verlin, it's a record. It was just a joke. It's just a joke. Our expectations, they can differ from our experiences. They can dictate our experiences. But today, as we look at Mark chapter 11, we're going to see Jesus and his disciples encounter some experiences that are very different from their expectations. And we can learn from God. We can learn from Jesus and how he relates, what he does with that gap, what he does, what is his reaction and so today I hope that that's really the heart of this message, that we'll look, at, look and see what Jesus does in that gap, how he reacts and how he responds, that we would be able to better understand not only the context of this story or the content of the story, but how we connect to the story. And so that's where we're going to be spending our time today. Um, to set this up, the book of Mark, um, Jesus is expected he is expected to rule and reign in the nation of Israel. Leading up to Mark chapter one, there's 400 years of silence where the, the prophets haven't written anything or spoken anything and there's this great anticipation that the king, the Messiah is going to come and that the nation of Israel will be rescued and restored and, and brought out of the Roman rule and, and Jesus, the, the Messiah, he's the one who's going to save us. And so in Mark chapter one, John the Baptist, he's talking about it. He's encouraging them. He's, he's saying, hey, you know, repent and believe, be baptized because the one who's coming, whose who's sandals I'm not even worthy to untie, like he's here. And then Jesus arrives on the scene. Well, at the beginning of Mark 11, it is the triumphal entry. Jesus has, has spent now time on the earth and he's been beginning slowly but surely to reveal his identity and who he is, that he is indeed the Messiah and he is indeed the king and he is indeed the savior. And so people are getting excited about this. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen his, his deity. They've seen that he is in fact the son of God and so they're celebrating they're celebrating, they're, they're rejoicing, they're, they're singing, they're crying out, they're shouting Hosanna in the highest, praise God. And maybe for, for some, I just kind of picture watching this procession, watching Jesus enter. He, he enters amidst great celebration that maybe somebody's standing there thinking like, man, I really thought Jesus would just come in on, on a really powerful horse and have chariots and, and have this big display of his power. And what does he do? He, he comes in riding a donkey. Is that weird to anybody else? <laughs> yeah. He, 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 he is different from what they expect. He is coming as their king, but the reality is, if you keep reading, like I hope you've been doing, studying the book of Mark through this series, you'll see at the end, and what we're gonna talk about in a few weeks is that Jesus, he gives his life as a sacrifice for many, for our sins. The penalty of our sin is death, but Jesus paid that price for us on our behalf. 
And on the third day, scripture teaches that he, he conquered death and he rose again and he sits to this very day victorious, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he intercedes for us. He, he, he is on our behalf. He's fighting for us. And he left his Holy Spirit that we would be able to follow him, that we would be able to be obedient to him. But most of all, what we're gonna talk about today, that we would have the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we would see God working in and through us. It's this beautiful thing, but it wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what the nation of Israel expected. Let's start out this morning, and we're gonna start in verse 12. We're gonna start in verse 12 of Mark chapter 11. Let's look at this. It says that on the following day, after Jesus enters riding on a donkey with his disciples, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Now, Bethany is a city. It's not a person. It's a city right outside of Jerusalem. It's about a mile or two. Um, my wife's name happens to be Bethany, and if you come over to our house, you will not leave hungry. I promise you that. She's a phenomenal cook. Uh, but it says this, seeing in the distance, they're hungry. Jesus is hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree Jesus loved himself some figs and he sees this fig tree that it's in leaf. So he went to see if he could find anything on it but when, what, when he came to it, what he found was nothing but leaves for it was not season for figs. So here we, we see Jesus, he's expecting food, figs. He, he's, he's expecting something. There, there's leaves on the tree so that means something but he finds no fruit, he finds nothing. Well, in that gap, what, what do you think Jesus does? Let's keep reading. He said, verse 14, to it, he speaks to the fig tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. In other words, Jesus cursed the fig tree. He, he looked at this tree and he said, you son of a fig tree. <laughs> that was funny, come on. Uh, and he cursed it. And then check this out. Look at this. Look at this. At the end of verse 14, Mark adds, and his disciples heard him. <gasps> it's like that moment where like someone cuts you off in traffic and you say something that you shouldn't and then you look in the back seat and your kids are there and they heard you and they give you that look and they're like, dad, you shouldn't be saying that. Did you learn that from mom? <laughs> the disciples heard him say it. And then if we skip ahead, let's look at verse 20. This is so cool. The next day as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree that had withered to its roots. It had withered to its roots. Here we see Jesus' humanity. We see that he's angry about this fig tree that doesn't have any fruit on it. But we also see his, his deity, that he's God, that he has the power to, to curse this tree and then it would die and wither. And I love this about Peter. He's kind of like the dummy sometimes. Peter looks at this tree and he sees it and he remembers the day before and he says, hey, Rabbi, Jesus, look, the fig tree that you cursed, remember that? <laughs> it withered. It's dead. And Jesus answers him, have faith in God. And Jesus goes on and he explains to the disciples, look, he teaches them what it was really about. See, I, I didn't fully understand that, so I had to do some research and here's what I found. Fig trees, you might be thinking like, that was harsh. Why did Jesus curse this fig tree when it says, it literally says that it wasn't the season for figs. That's ridiculous. Why would Jesus do that? Isn't he, isn't he perfect? Isn't he sinless? That's quite the drastic reaction for the son of God. And it's okay for us to wrestle with this. Well, 
let me share with you what I found. I found this. Fig trees, the, the fruit of figs, usually appears before the leaves. It usually appears before the leaves. And the fruit is green before it gets ripe so that it would blend in with the leaves. So from a distance, from, from afar, as they're approaching this fig tree, they saw, it says, that, that it was in leaf. And so it's a logical expectation that if there's leaves, there's fruit. And so they can't see it. Well, as they get closer, they learn that there's no figs there. And oftentimes, uh, figs would produce an early crop, especially in the spring. And it's the springtime. We know from this passage that this is the week leading up to Easter. It's spring. It's time for an early crop of figs, especially in some of the higher altitudes where Jerusalem is. There's another side of this too because scripture oftentimes teaches or, or makes the connection between a fig tree with the nation of Israel. And symbolically, the fig tree represents prosperity and fruitfulness in the nation of Israel. We can see several passages in the Old Testament where, where the nation of Israel is compared to a fig tree and it's this idea of blessing and great prosperity. But here, it's not the case. So symbolically, when Jesus curses this fig tree, it's literally him saying, it's this picture of him denouncing the nation of Israel and saying, look, outwardly you look really great, but inwardly you're fruitless. It's this picture of Jesus being upset and angry because his experience didn't match his expectation. Then we see in the story, Jesus moves on. This isn't even really the point of the story. It's just something that, that is included in God's word as Jesus and his disciples are walking. And if we look at verse 15, we see that they came to Jerusalem. They entered the temple, which is where they were headed. Now, before we go any further, let's rewind and let's look at verse 11. This is so cool. Verse 11 in Mark chapter 11, he says that he, after this celebration, after this parade, the, the crowd that had gathered and they're shouting Hosanna and they're praising Jesus and he comes in on a donkey, that day, in verse 11, it says he entered Jerusalem and he went to the temple and Jesus had looked around at everything, but it was already late was already late, so he left with the 12 and he went to Bethany. Now skip back down to verse 15. So it's the next day, and they arrive back at the temple. They arrive at, in Jerusalem, and it says that Jesus enters the temple and he begins to drive out all those who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seat of those who sold pigeons, and he would not even allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. You think Jesus is pretty hacked off? He's pretty angry. But see, here's the thing. Have you ever had that moment like where, where you see something, like the dog just obliterated something, and you're like, I don't even have time to clean this up right now. I'm just gonna leave it. Like, I, I, I gotta go do this. But you're really angry about what the dog did? I think that's kind of how Jesus is the night before when he gets to the temple and he sees what's going on. It doesn't match his expectation of what he's hoping to find at the temple. But he doesn't have time to deal with it right then because it says in verse 11, it was late in the day. I think Jesus was like, I need a minute. I need to sleep on this one. <laughs> I need to go. 
So I can't deal with this right now. We, we again, we see his humanity, but we see his, his deity. And as we look, I think it's interesting that in verse 17, it says that, and, and he was teaching them. <laughs> Can you picture Jesus like flipping over tables and like kicking people out and, and teaching them at the same time? If you're a parent, you, you kind of get that. Um, it's literally this, this idea that, that he's, he's teaching them and he says to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Here Jesus is quoting Isaiah 56, 7. And Isaiah 56, 7, it says this, listen, this is so cool. He says, I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem, which is where they are, and they will find with them joy in my house of prayer. That's what Jesus is expecting to find, joy in the house of prayer. And he finds these businessmen making a mockery of the house of God. Again, it's the same picture that, that outwardly, the temple, it's busy, there's a lot of happening, there's a lot of people there. You know, when you approach, you look, on the outside it looks really good. Wow, church is hopping today. But inwardly, they're not praying they're not worshiping. They're not spending time studying God's word. They're, they're not doing what inwardly they should be doing. So Jesus cleanses the temple. He's pretty salty about it. I'm sorry, salty. I'm a youth pastor. That means to be upset or angry with someone or something. It's just a little information for you there. <laughs> Jesus models to us Action in righteous anger. Oh, I love Jesus models to us action in righteous anger. When, when Pastor R and I were in Haiti a few weeks ago, Pastor R spoke, he, he taught this passage to the, the Haiti pastors. And he asked them this question. He, he talked about Jesus' humanity, his anger, and yet in his sin, he, or in his anger, he did not sin but he took action. And Pastor R asked these, these Haitian pastors, he said, what is it that you're angry about, righteously so, that you need to take action upon? And man, I, I sat there listening. Pastor R wasn't even teaching to me specifically, but I heard that, and I, I really didn't like that question. But God began speaking to me about it. E Eric, what is it that, that you're angry about, righteously so, that needs action? What, what do you do with that? And I've been chewing on that. I've been wrestling with that ever since and thinking about what is it that I'm angry about? What is it that, that, that moves me to a point of action? But see, here's the reality. I think if we're honest with ourselves, so often in our culture today as Christians, when we get angry about something, when we see a sin or when we see some injustice being done to someone, we usually ignore it. We keep our mouth shut, we don't say anything, we, we look the other way, we walk the other way, we suppress it, we don't wanna talk about it. Or we go very far to the other extreme where we go home and we rant about it on our social media or we give our husband or our wife an earful about it. And this is the thing I think that, that I get most frustrated about. Because as Christians, as believers, 
we're no longer relevant in our culture today. Where people say, wow, you're a Christian? Oh man, I want to learn from you. They say, oh, you're a Christian? Oh, you're one of the most judgmental, hypocritical. It's this idea that that Jesus gets angry. He, He doesn't like fruitlessness. Jesus doesn't like fruitlessness. And it causes us to do to do what? To, to look inwardly. For me, I read this and I see Jesus and, and the fact that he doesn't like fruitlessness and, and I wrestle with this. And so I think, how am I outwardly giving an impression but inwardly I'm, I'm fruitless? And two, then what action am I taking upon it in my life? What am I, what am I gonna do about it? And we see Jesus, uh, he deals with it. Yeah, we might sit here and think that's, that's a bit extreme but I think we can look at it and see his humanity and his deity. And the fact that he, he deals with it immediately gets to the heart of the issue. He, see, Jesus, he's, he's upset. The, the root of the issue is his concern for God's holiness and worship. And because these things were at stake, Jesus took quick and decisive action. He modeled to us what action looks like in righteous anger. So what do we do? Do we ignore it? When we see sin in our life or someone else's life, when we see an injustice being done, I think for many of us, we, just, we, we ignore it. We don't say anything. And far too often, oh my goodness, far too often, we go to social media and we rant and we spew our opinions all over the place. We talk about what we think should and shouldn't be done or who we should and shouldn't vote for or what law we think is good or bad. And we do it all in the name of Jesus. We quote scripture. And all we do is alienate people. Do you think people want to come to us as Christians to talk about our beliefs or our... No. Recently, I was, I was at Starbucks right here in town, I, I, I go there often. And uh, I'm sitting at a table and I, I had my Bible open, I was preparing a lesson that I was giving at youth group. And behind me, the table behind me was these two ladies. And the one lady who's, uh, who was facing me, she was ranting. Neither one, for, from what I could tell, and I, I'll, I'm admitting, I'm confessing, I was eavesdropping on their conversation. We can talk about that sin later. Um, I'm listening to this conversation of these two ladies behind me, and she's telling her friend at the table about this Christian lady that she works with, and this Christian lady that she's friends with on Facebook. And she's literally going on and on and on about this lady, that her, her co-worker. I cannot believe the things that she posts about. And she quotes scripture all the time, like everybody believes in the Bible. And I mean, I'm hearing this lady just go on and on. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And she's like, so I finally got to the point where I commented on one of her posts. And it was a political post that this Christian coworker was, was expressing her opinion and quoting scripture. And so this lady commented and she said it turned into this huge debate. And she said, we spent days commenting back and forth and sharing our opinions. And she said, and it was getting heated 
to the point where then offline she emailed her Christian coworker and said, you know what, I can't be your friend on Facebook anymore. I'm going to unfriend you. That's like the worst thing you could possibly do, right? Unfriend someone on Facebook. So she, this lady, apparently, this Christian coworker, emailed her back and said, I'm so sorry that I've offended you, but I'm here for you. If you ever need prayer or if you ever need to, to talk about the Bible or if you ever have questions, I'm here, I want to talk to you. And this lady's like, who does she think she is? And guys, this is, this is the world that we live in. Is what we're doing, is, is the things that we're saying, are our actions, are they fruitless? For many of this stuff, I would argue yes. Why are we in the name of Jesus spewing our opinions all over our social media for people that are friends with us that don't know Christ to be hindered by? These are hindrances. And that's exactly what Jesus gets mad about at the temple. He's saying, look, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for people of all nations to come to. And you're, you're hindering people from coming, from having access to God. You're getting in the way of people experiencing and encountering him. What it's really about. And I just look at this and I I see how Jesus, he doesn't like fruitlessness. And he took action upon it. And so for me, I have to wrestle with this. What are the fruitless areas in my life? What are the opportunities that I'm missing where I'm not taking action, where I'm ignoring something, or I'm improperly communicating in a way that isn't worthwhile. It's of no benefit besides making me maybe feel good for a little while. And church, I would challenge us with the same thing. We have to wrestle with this. Aren't we called as believers to point people to Christ? Aren't we called to to do whatever it takes to speak truth in love? Didn't Jesus model what that looks like? Yeah, Jesus made people upset. I'm sure the money changers that he kicked out were not very happy with him on that day. But does that mean Jesus was wrong? No. What's our response in this? Maybe you're one of those people that, that... you're okay with this. But I think when we read this passage and we see how Jesus responds to the difference, to that gap between the expectations and the experience, we have to wrestle with it. Jesus did come to be a model to live for us to follow. I'm not saying that we should go around flipping over tables and getting angry. That's humanly speaking. But I am saying, what are the things that we need to take action biblically in righteous indignation that we as believers need to do something about? How would our world look different? How would your workplace look different? How would our culture look different if we had that balance and if we lived in the moment, Holy Spirit moment? I think we would see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, Peace, patience. The fruit of the Spirit is is the overflow of God's Holy Spirit working in and through us. I think we have to wrestle with this. Most of all, we need to start in prayer. 
examine our hearts and our lives and where we are before we can take action. So let's start there. Let's pray. God, would you help us? Lord, we, we admit that we don't do things perfectly. We often don't do things well. God, forgive us for those moments where we get in the way of what you're wanting to do. Show us those, those times, Lord, where we're missing the point and you keep allowing the same circumstances to happen in our life over and over again because we're missing something that you're trying to teach us. God, drive us to your word. Show us how your spirit is, is leading, how we can be obedient. God, show us your love and your grace for us and for others. Lord, change us, transform us, renew our minds because of the studying of your word, the understanding of how your son lived. God, that we would change and be transformed, that when people look at us, God, they don't just see Eric or, or us as individuals, God, but that they see you working in and through us, God. Use us. We pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Pastor R is going to come now to close out our time together. Thanks.